Hi, everyone. Welcome to The View from the Nest podcast, where we talk about all things Index Corp and uh, crypto. I'm AG, and I'm joined here by Paul, as always, to talk through all the recent developments at the Corp. We also spend some time at the end talking to Scott Lewis at DeFi Pulse about the ETH Flexible Leverage Index, uh, which is a new product that's kind of coming down the pipeline and hopefully will be released fairly soon. How are you today, Paul? What's happening? I'm good as always. Uh, thanks for the introduction, AG. I put out the tweet as normal this week for the newsletter and I said that it had been a bit of a quiet week for the index co-op in terms of the governance forums, but actually that was just in terms of new posts that had appeared that week because um, every week when I'm going through, I filter by what's uh, what's been done that week, like what are the new posts effectively. But that doesn't mean that it was quiet overall. There was a lot of good discussions going on. Uh, we've got a number of different work streams that are underway, including like the metaverse index, how we organize ourselves, discussions around the treasury. So there's still a heck of a lot going on. But um, for, for once, it, I think there was only one new post that had been created that week. So that made life a little bit easier in terms of uh, following up with what we've been up to this week. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that as well. I think there's uh, there was a little bit of like a low low period on the forum, but that actually kicked off kind of this week. And I don't want to spoil this week's newsletter, but there's definitely a lot of activity on the forum this week. Yeah, well, one of the main things that we managed in the in the last week was one of yours, another one of your integrations. If you want to tell us a bit more about that, yeah. So I think a lot of the work was. Uh, sort of done by by the set team a little bit in the background, but uh, you know we were really happy to finally push out the integration with Transac that is a payment processor. And what this integration does, it basically enables people to buy DPI with fiat through our website. And uh, US is uh, is still problematic. I think you can you can still buy if you are in the U.S. but with a credit card and and the fees on that are are quite high. But for those of us in Europe or or UK like you, Paul, um, as well as India, there is actually functionality to buy fiat via bank transfer, and the fees on that are very competitive. I think it's uh, about half a percent. And an in- interesting thing about Transact is that you sort of need to input your Ethereum address or uh, your purchase, whether it's DPI or ETH or any other crypto, to be sent to your address. And so because it's a on-chain transaction, you actually have to pay uh, gas fees on that. So it, it's, it's a bit different from buying on the centralized exchange where you don't necessarily, you just pay a, a small fixed fee. Uh, transact payments are, are still... You know, I'm still subject to uh, gas fees on Ethereum, which uh, could be a handful. But we were we were quite happy with this integration and and to kind of enable fiat on ramps for DPI directly on on our website. I think uh, it's it's a it's a big win for us. Yeah, it's definitely a good move. We haven't managed to land that elusive first centralized exchange listing for DPI yet, but we're getting as close as we can to the equivalent you know, with these kind of integrations. So it's great to see. And it's just another option for people to get on board, which, uh, yeah, we need to welcome with open arms, really. 
The second thing on the newsletter this week, you, you were also involved with, uh, as was I, which is the Metaverse Q&A. We had a community call and ran through with everybody um, where we're at with it, you know, a bit of the background, how it came to be, the rework of the methodology. And then, of course, we invited Mason Nystrom from Mastari to talk a little bit about the space overall, um, Metaverse, NFTs, gaming, etc., uh, so it's good to get everybody in one place and, and run through that. We had some some good feedback, some things to work on. And uh, yeah, overall, I think everybody's really excited about this product. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a lot of positive feedback from inside the co-op community, but also from, from the outside. When I sort of monitor Twitter for our official account, you kind of see quite a lot of people asking for a metaverse index that is an equivalent of DPI, right? And and that's sort of what we're trying to deliver with the metaverse index. There are there are certainly you know still some some challenges that that we need to iron out, particularly as it relates to liquidity of these underlying projects. But I think that liquidity has improved a, a fair amount since we first started looking at this a couple of months ago. And I don't know about you, but I certainly feel that there's only one way liquidity can go over, over the next few months. It's unlikely that like, we'll see a decrease in liquidity over, over the next few months. It's, it's more likely that it's going to increase, which will make this product a fair bit easier. So I think, yeah, I think the next step is really to uh, move forward to decision gate one, which is kind of the first opportunity for the community to signal uh, their support for this product via snapshot. And and I'm hoping that perhaps this week or next week we can we can get that done. Yeah, I think in, in terms of the liquidity, uh, that's really the whole point of launching a product like this. The, the trend is there. There's a few different technologies sort of converging. So the whole point of launching an index is to try and capture that that trend and and trade that trend. So I'd certainly hope that liquidity is on the up and uh, that it's not going to prove to be a continual barrier for, for what we're trying to do here. One thing that I did enjoy hearing about that came up on the call um, came from yourself, AG, and that was how the Metaverse Index might provide uh, an equivalent to a core slash satellite investing strategy. So I think that's something that um, it's quite a a well-known phrase in traditional investing space, but I'm not sure that I've seen any examples of it within DeFi. Can you tell us a little bit more about how MVI fits into that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it is, like you said, it's it's very common in traditional finance. And one of the core sort of ways to play or, or to utilize the strategy in traditional finance is to use sector ETFs or broad market ETFs, for example, like S&P 500 or global equities. So very broad ETFs for your core exposure, right? So if you want global equities exposure, you can just get it with one or two ETFs. And then with your satellites, you can pick and choose whether it's an individual country or individual sector, like maybe you want to do global tech, or maybe you want to do Chinese small caps, right, or or something else. So while you do have your core exposure, you also have ability to play around with a smaller portions of your portfolio in, in sort of these maybe higher risk satellite bets. 
So that's that's really common in in traditional finance. And I see DPI is actually sort of like this for um, for the DeFi space, right? So DPI is your core exposure to DeFi, and you know with satellites, it's sort of what you and I do, right? When we go and and we pick up an occasional token here and there where it's whether it's alpha or badger or some of these other projects and so with the metaverse once again it's, it, it's a similar story but the space is just there are so many moving parts in the space and there are so many sub niches and kind of little rabbit holes that you can you can go into so the, the the point of MVI is to give you that core exposure to the metaverse, NFTs, ownership economy space. And then for people who are already comfortable investing in individual like pieces of art, right, or hash mask or what have you, they can go and they can still do that as as their satellite exposure. And and for a lot of us who want to invest in the space, but we're still not quite comfortable with it. We can invest in MVI. We can kind of get comfortable with it, see how it performs over a couple of months, and then sort of expand our horizon a little bit and go into these smaller satellite positions. Yeah, that's great. And I thought it was a great way to think about it, really. And uh, because one of my concerns at the beginning of thinking about the metaverse was if we hold these tokens that should be staked or as they're like a part of um, sort of a a game theory or token economics like uh, setup where you're supposed to interact with a a protocol and, you know, with Avogotchi, for example, um, or meme, you can stake your tokens and, and earn NFTs. I was worried that it might take some of the fun out of it if you're just a passive index holder, but actually thinking about it like this, if you're not an expert, you can just hold MVI and you know that you're capturing the best of that the space has to offer. And if you are an expert, it doesn't stop you from picking up a hash mask or buying some land into central land or whatever you might like to do to, to give your, your holdings that extra little bit of spice around the, the core holding. So yeah, I, I hadn't thought about it like that, but it was, um, yeah, it was really an eye opener to hear you describe it that way. I think, if we move on to the next item, this was quite interesting because we had a bit of a twist at the last moment. So this is talking about CGI being adopted by the YAM Treasury. Now, at the time when I put the newsletter out, everything was looking good. Snapshot poll was 100% in favour with something like 120,000 tokens. And at the last minute, a number of whales stepped in and said, do not purchase CGI for the YAM treasury. So I need to follow up with the team at YAM to see what happened there and, and what the feedback was. But uh, it was all looking good right up until the last moment because I think this is quite a, an interesting use case for CGI and, and that gold index because it allows different DAO treasuries to have uh, lower volatility holdings effectively and, and target their risk-adjusted returns um, based on a known quantity. So this was really exciting because CGI hadn't even launched and YAM were already knocking at the door saying, we want to hold some of this. As it turns out, maybe some of the members of the community don't want to. But uh, yeah, I'll be interested to find out what the feedback is on that. Yeah, that that, that sounds a bit strange to me. And we, we've talked about it many times that CGI is like a 
perfect treasury product. You know, like I can almost, and, and I know this is kind of taking it too far. So uh, just take it with a grain of salt, but I can totally see like Tesla buying something like this, right? Like just in, in terms of your whole um, move towards sound money and sound reserve assets, this sort of fits in and maybe it's not obviously like this year, but it could be in five years, right? Uh, if, if all of them are buying Bitcoin now, maybe some of them will start buying Ethereum in a couple of years and CGI sounds like a perfect, perfect product. Um, so, you know, and, and we had this conversation about potentially buying CGI for our own treasury, right? From kind of diversification and risk management perspective. So I think that's definitely definitely a use case, a very strong use case for CGI, and I'm confident that we're going to see adoption from DAO treasuries and, and other crypto treasuries. Well, you've kind of front-run the, uh, the final item on, on the newsletter today, which is the bull case for the index token, and you've, you've done a better job than Lemonade Alpha there, I think, by... <laughs> By saying that Tesla, you're going to pick up some CGI in the future, because uh, yeah, that would certainly be a bull case for our, our governance token. Um, Lemonade himself went out on Twitter as he does very well and uh, posted some interesting stats around where he thinks uh, we can we can get to in terms of our income just based on DPI. Uh, he laid out a bull case, a base case, and a bear case for what DPI's revenue model might look like in 2023. So his figures range from $145 million at the higher end down all the way down to 1.5 million at the lower end. And 1.5 million isn't far off where we are today, but this is without any other uh, products on the market. So it, it was nice to give a bit of a framework to people who maybe still haven't joined the dots between DPI and the index token or realized that this is just one product and we're rolling out more this year. Um, and it gives people a way to sort of value index uh, and figure out what they might pay for a token. Um, it's, it's been notoriously difficult in crypto to value different tokens. Um, Ethereum and Bitcoin may be more difficult than everything else because they're a completely new asset class and they do very different things to what people are used to. But with DeFi and having these protocols and built on top of Ethereum where they have like their cash flow generating, it becomes a bit easier. So you can put some numbers around it like Lemonade did um, and it, it just makes the case clear for everybody. And uh, yeah, it was good to see. But he didn't mention anything about Tesla. So maybe next time. Yeah, maybe that's like Uber bull case. He just didn't didn't get that far with uh, with his imagination for this particular post. But, we can send some uh, um, can send some DPI to to Michael Saylor as soon as he gets onto the Ethereum blockchain, and and we'll go from there. Yeah, for for now he he seems busy um, raising raising money to buy more uh, Bitcoin. You see the last uh, convertible bond offering for 900 million that uh, came out, I think, today or, or yesterday. And, uh, you know, part of me just thinks he doesn't want to share Bitcoin with like Elon Musk and, and other people. Yeah, seems like he's got the opportunity here to make himself the world's richest man. And uh, yeah, he's going all in, isn't he? I, I didn't realize it was 900 million. I thought I'd seen that it was another 600 million, but 
yeah, what's 300 million between friends? I guess um, they're, going, yeah. they're going for it <laughs> and they're going for it hard. Yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, 750 and then it was upgraded by another 150. So I think the, the final number was 900 in the end. And uh, it's, it's fascinating to me. And I think with the purchase of, you know, with Tesla purchasing Bitcoin uh, for their balance sheet, I think that just sort of opens the floodgates uh, really for corporate treasuries to just start piling on. It's going to be interesting to see if it does become a bit of a, a shiny object for some of the world's richest people. If they're fighting each other to, to buy more of it and, and outdo each other, then how, you know, how's anybody else going to get in? It's, I mean, we've talked about memes and the mimetic like effect on markets, reflexivity and all that good stuff. And there are some giga brains out there that have, done it even more justice than we can probably do um especially recently but yeah i i just i don't see how this does anything other than just get completely out of control one way or another i mean when you've taken a bet of that size it makes sense when you when you listen to michael talk about it in his um conference that he held the other week he used an example of an argentinian farm and imagine if you knew that pesos were going to devalue 100 percent over the next 10 years and then he talked about well what you would do is you would take these loans and you would refinance everything and you would take out a mortgage in pesos but then you would charge everybody in dollars and when he lays it out like that you think you you can see what he's think what he's thinking and how he's thinking about it and then it makes sense that micro strategy are taking such an aggressive approach but but when you think about it when you have the belief like he does that the dollar is an ice cube that's melting and Bitcoin is this life raft, then, you know, you go all in and then suddenly things become cheaper and then you start to outcompete your competitors. So then things get even like, it's just a vicious, well, not a vicious, a virtuous circle all the way up. Um, and it's going to get really interesting to see where this ends now. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. It's quite exciting. I think for, for all of us in the space, this is a completely new, completely new cycle, completely new landscape that is dramatically different from what we saw previously, what we saw in 2017. And it's certainly exciting. Great. We'll now turn to our conversation with Scott at DeFi Pulse about the ETH Flexible Leverage Index, which is a new product that we are launching in partnership with DeFi Pulse. And we're excited to talk to Scott about it. Scott, let's just start like very simple uh, talking about the product. Uh, so Fly is meant to be basically a 2x ETH exposure, right? So if ETH goes up 10%, Fly uh, on average will go up 20% and the same on the downside. Uh, if ETH goes down 10%, Fly will on average go down 20%. Um, so this is structured through, uh, through the compound protocol, right? Yes. And uh, can you just kind of talk to us about the, the mechanics of this? So like if I have one ETH in my wallet and I want, I want to sort of give it to you to execute the fly strategy, um, which steps uh, does the smart contract take to deliver that 2x exposure? If I was going to mint at fly tokens and I sent one ETH to set protocol, that set protocol um, would deposit that one ETH into compound, and then it would withdraw USDC debt out. 
And so let's just assume that the uh, target leverage ratio was exactly 2.0 at the time. It would pull back half an S worth of USDC and then also mint um, a fly token. So kind of like the minting process would be one F in, 0.5 F a fly token, and 0.5 F worth of USDC back to the user. And that 0.5 F of fly token, if the current leverage ratio was 2.0 at the time, that would be one F worth of exposure. Yeah, okay. So basically, if I wanted to, if I wanted to mint... I would end up with a fly token and USDC in my wallet. Yes, I think that's how the the the, the technical flow is going to work right now. Yeah. Okay. So so it's not like I deposit one ETH and then it gets deposited into Compound. The USDC loan gets taken out. That is used to buy more ETH and that gets deposited. So it's it's not like a sort of vicious cycle until you get to two X. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I think it's it's kind of like boom, boom. If you want to turn your one ETH into uh, two ETH of exposure or one ETH of fly tokens, I think you'd have to just either buy the, you could just like trade your ETH for the fly tokens on a deck. Can you just talk about a little bit about the costs and, and the kind of how that's, or how you think about the cost? Because you are effectively borrowing USDC against one ETH of collateral, right? And that's a floating rate uh, on on compound. So, in when the utilization is high, that rate could be could be quite high. How, how do you how do you think about that in terms of cost to the user to execute the strategy? I mean, sort of the the historical interest rates of where USDC. Um, lending and borrowing rates have been over time on compound, you know, it is publicly available and it does have some volatility in, in general, like the sort of that, the, the interest rate spread between um, dollars in a bank and dollars on Ethereum blockchain, that extra return you can get from putting your USDC on Ethereum is unstable. And so no one knows exactly where it will go. Um, but I think one thing that we've seen in other markets is that the bigger and more liquid those markets get and the more participants there are, um, and the easier it is as the tooling improves, the easier it is for participants to enter if that interest rate differential gets big enough to make it worth their time. I, I sort of think that... Uh, we don't know what the future is going to be, but a lot of sort of the advantages of more liquidity and more scale and, and kind of more TVL in DeFi um, kind of make the problem tends tend to be not as bad. But, you know, it's a dynamic market and ultimately no one can predict it exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about the the rebalancing? Obviously, it's this is not DPI, so there's no rebalancing, but you have certain tolerance limits um, on the upside and downside for uh, for leverage. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about how like how that's managed and if there's a certain frequency to it or if it just depends on yeah, so the uh, the difference between kind of the there there's kind of two of the concepts 
um, in the flexible leverage indexes series are there's a target leverage ratio and then there's a current leverage ratio. Um, and then based on how long each epoch, you pick a portion of the difference between the, to basically recenter the current leverage ratio closer to the target leverage ratio. So okay. if like, if, if at the end of an epoch, the actual like leverage ratio of the fly is uh, 2.1 and the target leverage ratio is two, um, like 5% of that 0.1 difference, we would kind of rebalance. So we'd want the new leverage ratio to be 2.095 after the end of that epoch. Okay, and the epoch, how long is that? That is a question that I think we're still figuring out exactly with set labs because kind of how many epochs, how long the epochs are um, is going to affect like gas costs um, and, and transaction costs. And so kind of like nailing that down, I think is, is something that we're not, is a mix of both like how, how uh, the index is designed, but then we also need feedback on how the actual market, like how, how the actual like market uh, environment is. I would, I'm, I'm thinking four hour epochs, but uh, it's, it's not, it's not set yet. Okay. So four hours would be rather short and and it would basically it's sort of like a constant micro adjustment of of leverage so to speak yeah yeah it's like um it, it's more like if other um if other if like traditional um 2x or 3x leverage tokens um are sort of like driving through stop and go traffic um, the, the, the flexible leverage indices are more like driving on the interstate. You know, you're going a little too fast. You slow down a bit. You're going, you need to pass someone, you speed up a bit. And so it's more like gradual adjustments rather than the, the more customary leverage. You just kind of like go all the way back to two, whether you're above or below. Yeah. Okay. And then, so when you talk about like in the, why proposal and I think in the initial article that you guys put out kind of describing fly you talk about composable entry and exit what what does that mean exactly right you'd have to um, you'd have to make trades pay transaction costs but when you just send the f if you do the mint or redeem right you're just sending f to compound getting your SDC back so you don't actually have to trade with a counterparty to yeah. get your leverage. Okay. All right. And then with, with comp rewards, so obviously uh, there's going to be some rewards generated. Um, what's, what's the kind of, what's the plan? What's the mechanics for that? Is it going to stay with the pool in some way? Or is it going to get distributed? Uh, do you have any, any uh, insights on that? I would kind of put this in the, um, in sort of the like index, index coops uh like de decision space kind of like on how dpi like whether index coop tracks dpi with uni or c uni this would be a thing like whether index coop decides to like give comp rewards back to uh fly holders or whether it kind of keeps them as part of like the net revenue received from the product um i, I think that would be an index kind of business. We, we might sort of have opinions on it, but it wouldn't be part of the index. Okay. Okay. 
And then there's obviously going to be some uh, DEX liquidity uh, for this, right? So people can just uh, can just buy it on the DEX and not not have to go through the mint process. In the community call, there was an interesting conversation on uh, basically creating liquidity for fly and balancer using the kind of one third fly, two thirds ETH pool, which would suffer no impermanent loss, right? So that was an interesting yeah. conversation. How how is that with balancer v two? Uh, is that like does balancer v two affect this or 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 not? I don't know. First, I also just I am generally a very large fan of the one third two thirds plan. I, I just haven't read I haven't read real docs for it yet for balancer v two. So it's hard to know exactly what you can and can't do. But my hunch is that it's actually going to be like much better than the than balancer v1 for what we're trying to do but we'll see yeah that's that's really interesting just with a kind of no impermanent loss ease exposure uh, with leverage with trading fees um and mm -hmm. hopefully with ball rewards as well like that's <laughs> that that would be quite that'd be quite sweet yeah yeah i think uh yeah, I think it's a good opportunity if if it works and it feels like it should work. Yeah, well, one one, one thing one thing I would one thing maybe mentioning just about the the epoch length and the recentering speed. Um, uh, once once the fly launches, we'll be watching kind of like the 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 market with index. I assume index scoop and pulse ink will both be kind of like watching the market and. If the market impact is, if gas costs are too high and market impact is low, we can uh, lengthen the epoch length um, and increase the recentering speed. But if gas prices aren't as bad, but market impact is a little high, we can shorten the epoch length while decreasing the recentering speed. Yeah. Okay. So kind of like tune do a little tuning as as we observe like how it's happening what's happening in the market do, do you think it's going to be continuous continuous tuning because it's a, like you can say that for the next two weeks it's going to behave in one way and then for the next month it's going to behave in a completely different way that might need a different epoch I, length and I, I think it's sort of a it's it's the the like the correct answer is kind of like a function on how much liquidity is in the market and um how many assets are tracking the index so like it's not going to be like i wouldn't expect aggressive changes and i wouldn't expect like very short feedback loops but um just like on like you know how dpi we kind of like uh we published a v 0.2 of the methodology um we might we might kind of do that just you know always incorporating like what you're learning um to create kind of the best the best indices for the users. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate your time.